This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg It's 392 Similarly, by the union of Zah and Nukra of Berea, Itzir, and Asiya, there were created, as Yesh from Ayin, all the beings that were created in the world of Berea, formed in the world of Yesira, and made in the world of Asiya. As explained above, Malchut of Atsila, as well as the union of Zun, Zah, and Nukra of Atsila, creates the souls and angels of the world of Berea, creatures which are created in the manner of Yesh, as explained above. This comes about through the power of the Ein Sof and the Kav that is vested in Malchut in general and in the union of Zun in particular. So too the union of Zun, of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya results in the creation of the beings that pertain to these worlds and, as the Elder Rebbe will conclude, here too there is a he started out a few classes back that the beginning of creation, something from nothing, begins with the attribute of royalty, of sovereignty, the divine attribute of sovereignty. Because you can't be a king over yourself, you can't be a king over those who are an extension of you, you can only be a king over those who are separate and apart and distant from you. And yet, they subject themselves and they accept your authority and therefore they accept your will upon themselves and your will becomes binding and that's how they coronate you as king. So the whole creation, the whole idea of separation begins with the attribute of the divine sovereignty, the divine attribute of sovereignty, Malchus, which is rooted in the crown, because in the will, that's what Hashem desired, because Hashem is so infinite and so transcendent. The only thing that really connects us with Hashem, the only thing that could connect us with Hashem is when we're separate, and nevertheless, we willingly accept upon ourselves Hashem's kingdom. That's the will and the motivation and the reasoning behind all of creation. And that's why the, uh, the, the lowest is rooted in the highest, and that's why action is even more important in the sense we learned last week than, than Torah. The whole point of Torah is the action, and the deed, because only there, the, through the action, that's how the will of Hashem is fulfilled, that's how the, um, the will of Hashem is expressed, the infinite is expressed. So, he said that as a result of the merging of the, so to speak, the masculine and the feminine within the world of emanation, the light with, together with the vessels, 
which is malchus, and the light is then channeled through the vessels. And because the light reflects the source, so the light conveys this ability, the light which is infinite conveys this ability, comes from the essence of Hashem to create something from nothing. But where is it actualized? It's actualized when it merges in malchus, when it's channeled through the vessels and it merges through malchus. That's what activates this innovation, this creativity, this outburst of creativity, and that gives birth to the souls and the angels of the world of creation. And he says, so too. In every world, through the svirot, because like he said earlier, the neshama, the soul of the ten svirot of all the worlds, of the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of action, the ten svirot, the soul of the ten svirot is divine. The toll of the sense svirot come from the vessels of the world of emanation. So, so when the within each and every world, within the each and every of the ten svirot of each and every world, as a result of the merging and the coming together of the masculine and the feminine, which creates, gives birth, gives birth to the souls and the angels of that world, and gives birth, sparks the creativity of that world. Because since the soul ultimately comes from the vessels which come from the divine, come from the infinite, so it all contains within it that divinity, all contains within it that divine, infinite ability to create, and is activated when it merges with the level of sovereignty of that world, and therefore it creates the creatures of that world because although it all comes from the infinite but in order for the infinite to create the created beings of that world the tool has to you have to use the tools of that world you know if you act if you're using your mind you're going to create an idea you're not going to you're not going to sh- you're not going to create a piece of furniture because you don't create furniture with a mind. The mind operates in the world of ideas. If you, if you create with the heart, you're going to create an emotion, an opera. But you're not going to create, you may create a song, but you're not going to create a piece of furniture. Because the heart doesn't create furniture. In order to create furniture, you have to merge with the hands. You're coming into the world of the hands, and hands, with hands, you can create. It's very creative. We're very creative. You can create something physical. You can create a piece of furniture. So every world, every world when the infinite light is reflected in that world, then it creates something, and the outcome is, the creativity is expressed on that level, of the level of that world. You have the world of creation, you have the world of formation, these are spiritual worlds, and then ultimately the world of action, our world, which, until the physical world, which, that's the expression of the creativity as it's expressed in the world of creation, of the world of action, in all the physical beings and the physical creatures. But ultimately it's all rooted in that divine, in the infinite, because it's going to explain that the infinite, the divine is illuminated and is expressed in all these ten spherot, each and every world, in the level of nisham, of the soul, of these ten spirits, which is divine and godly. So it contains within it that divinity, it contains within it that godly ability.
So it, so it conveys that ability to create, which is activated when it merges with a level of sovereignty of that world, a level of sovereignty of creation, a level of sovereignty of formation, a level of sovereignty of action, which activates the creativity and expresses itself in whatever world, whatever level of that world. So in the world of action, it expresses itself in physical creatures. The light of the neshama within them, for if the neshama is divinity of the kalim, the tenth zero of malchus of that The ten kalim of malchus of Atsila descend into the spirit of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya to serve as the, as the neshama and divinity of the spirit of Berea, Yitzira, and Asiya. As he said earlier, there's the inner part, is the heart of it, and then there's the external part, and the inner ten vessels that creates, that animates the world of creation and the, the central, the medium level that activates the world of formation and the external the level of the vessels, the ten external level of the vessels activate the world of action. So you have the part which is, refers to what's above, above you where you're receiving and they're connected to what's above you. You have the heart of the matter, which is you yourself. And then you have the way you express yourself and convey what you're about to, to the lower level. So you have three different parts. So these three different aspects of the vessels, the beginning, the middle, the end, you have the top, the bottom, the middle, the, the bottom, these three different aspects animate three different types of worlds. The world of creation is very close to its source. It's connected to its source. It's almost indistinguishable from its source. Separate entity, but still it's almost indistinguishable. It's like swallowed up in its source, like a fish in water. And then you have the world of formation is already an intermediate. It's, it's independent, but it's still connected. And then you have looking outward, which is a world of action, a world of looking outside of yourself and, and um, so that that animates the level of the world the world of creation but it all comes from the vessels of the world of emanation so it's divine it has that divinity and the light that's within the vessel in it within Malchut of there is also present the radiation of the cow from the infinite Ein Sof light since the light of the cloud is similar to its source, the luminary, it can bring about the creation of yesh from ayam. That's explained Correct. Above. Since the vessels, even the lowest level of the vessels, even the level of the vessels extending outward, which is, becomes the soul of the world of uh, creation, but since it comes from the level of the vessels, which is divine, which the level of the vessels of the world of emanation contain within it the light, and the light, the kav, which is the light that comes after the tzimtzum, after the great contraction. But nevertheless, it's the light that's connected to the source. So therefore, it contains within it, since it reflects the source, a light reflects the source, it contains within it everything that the source has, including the source's ability to create, Hashem's ability to create. So it also carries and conveys this, and it transmits it all the way down the line, all the way to the lowest, furthest level, farthest level, which is the, the way it becomes through the parsa, through the, the curtain, the veil, as we're going to speak. 
And then it continues down through the veil and continues and it becomes in the Shama, the soul of the world of, of action. But still, it still contains, maintains that divinity. It still has a divinity. It still has that light, that spark. So therefore, it has that ability to create. And when that merges with the world, of, with this level of sovereignty of the world of creation, it activates and activates that creativity and sparks that creativity that creates all of the beings of the world of creation of our world. Since the light of the Kav is similar to its source, the luminary, it can bring about the creation of Yesh from Ayin as explained above, which is vested in its silhouette as far as the prasa, the curtain or veil that screens off from Berea, so that the light of Berea, Yitzir, and Asiya will be utterly different from the essence of the godly light and the tzilut. Between the world, between the infinite light and the world, there's a tzimtzum. It has to be a great contraction, the great contraction. But between the world of emanation and the other worlds, there's also a separation, but it's not a total contraction. It's more like a veil, light that goes through a veil. The light that comes out on the other side of the veil it looks like it's a different light. It's not because you don't see the connection to its source. There's a veil in between. So you're getting the light, but the light is being filtered through the veil. It's, it's, the analogy is, the parable is, a parable. <laughs> a teacher teaches through a parable. So the light, the idea, the concept, the original light is being transmitted. But it's being transmitted in a veiled way, through a veil. It's not illuminating, it's not shining brilliantly, it's being concealed, it's being hidden, being transmitted in a way that the student could receive it, otherwise it will be blinding. If, if, just like the sun is too blinding, I need, why do I need a curtain? The sun is too blinding, I can't look at the sun, or a curtain, I can see it. Because I'm not looking at the sun, I'm seeing the light, it comes, it's filtered through the curtain, I can see it. It's al- almost like it's a different light, even though it's the same light, it's the same light that's coming from the sun there's not a different light but I don't see the sun I see a curtain I can't see the sun but I see the light usually you can't if you see the light you have to see the source you can't see one without the other through a curtain I'm seeing the light but I can't see the source but I'm seeing the light but it's a veiled light it's almost as if as if I don't know where this light is coming from I can't see the source I just see a light but it's a light that's a light that I can take I can handle if it comes directly from the source, it's blinding. I can't see it. I can't look at it. I can't look at the sun. It's too blinding. So the creations, the world of creation would not be able to take place. You couldn't have a creation. You couldn't have any separation. You couldn't have a sense of separation, a sense of ego, a sense of I, a sense of independence or identity if you're blinded by the sun. If the sun is shining brilliantly, you're completely blinded. There's no room. You can't see there's no room for, for any independence or sense of separation. But when the light is covered up and concealed, when it's, when it's filtered through a curtain, it's darkened through a curtain, it's filtered through a curtain, then I, can, then I can no longer see the source. I don't see the sun. I'm not blinded by the sun. I can see the light. I can look at the light. So the, te- the student cannot receive this concept, this pure, raw concept. The teacher could, has the raw concept. And the teacher is excited about the raw concept. His brain is on fire with this raw concept. The poor student, if, he, if the sun shined, if the teacher just shared with him the brilliant concepts, 
in its original raw state, it would be blinded by the sheer brilliance of the concept. The student's mind would be completely destroyed. Couldn't, wouldn't be able to handle it. It's way out of his league. It's way be over his head. He won't know what he's talking about. And worse yet, it'll completely confuse him and destroy his mind, destroy even his ability to think. But for the teacher, it's crystal clear. For the student, it's, it's, it's completely blinding and destructive. It's destructive, light. For the teacher, it's light. It's brilliant, it's illuminated. And for the student, that same light is blinding and destructive. He can't handle it. Too intense. He can't deal with it. You're not helping him. So the teacher has to screen the light through a parable. It's the same light. It's the same concept. What's shining through the parable? What's the concept, the kernel of wisdom in this, con- in this parable? It's, it's the original idea. There's no other idea here. He's not inventing a new idea. It's the exact same idea. The idea hasn't changed. But it comes through a veil. The student is no longer blinded. He's seeing a story, a story that he can relate to, he can connect with, a simile, a parable, uh, and this he can grasp, and he learns something. He elevates him. Oh, I, I, I learned, okay, now I get an idea. I learned something new, a new idea. This is an idea you can handle. So it's the same idea, but it comes in a way through a veil. At some point, the student becomes a teacher. Also. Yes. It says a teach student will learn his teacher's words for 40 years. We're talking about a real teacher. Well, you were a student at one time, and now you're a teacher. Yeah, we're still learning. The Rebbe was a real teacher, and we're like, like a gap. It's like the Grand Canyon. Or that's probably much bigger, like the from sun from the sun to the earth. You know, and if, by studying the words, 40 years, diligently studying and studying the parable, the student will eventually work his way up and finally get to the core, the essence of the teacher's mind. His mind will also start working like the teacher's mind. After 40 years of diligently, faithfully studying every word of his teacher and every word of the parable, and every, and finally he'll work his way back up. He'll work his way up to the teacher. Then his mind will start thinking like the teacher's mind. That's the ideal. That's, that's the hope. That's what we hope. There's, there's two elements in this one and the idea itself, but then you have to learn a whole language. Because the teacher, when he speaks ideas, talks with different languages. It has a language of its own because it's a different world. So it has a, so you, it's like a person studying Talmud for the first time. It's very confusing because it has its own language. It's very brief. It's lang- you know, because the ideas are so deep and so that it, it, it has it creates its own language. You know, the language is just a reflection of the idea. Simple ideas, very simple, simple language. But if you're getting into a complex ideas. It, it creates a whole universe, a whole world of expression. To contain the idea, you need a whole new language, set of language to explain these concepts. Every breakthrough, 
Einstein had to create a whole new idea, set of words and concepts to explain new ideas, radical, new, radically new ideas. So the language is a symptom of the, of the ideas, and, um, and that's part of learning and mastering and finally getting to the bottom of what the teacher meant. So you start looking at this world from your teacher's eyes. You start seeing this world from your teacher's perspective. You start thinking like your teacher. That's the greatest goal that we can hope for and aspire for. We should start seeing the world you know, from the Alta Rebbe's eyes, seeing the world from the Rebbe's eyes. Do you imagine? Even so, he saw it fresh, so he never... Almost oh. impossible to get oh, to listen, the Listen, we'll never teacher, right, right. We'll, ne- we'll never be. But never but be. What, what what the teacher what we you could like do, to. but the Talmud says after forty years you could start it, it it affects your mind. In other words, till now the first forty years you're learning an idea, so you're trying to understand the idea. And if you have a good head you can understand it from day one. But but to really change your mind that you should start seeing things, start perceiving things, and start understanding things that the whole underlying assumption and the whole, the way things make sense to you, the way you start making sense of the world, the way you start making sense of things, you know, with the same genuineness and depth and clarity and, and understanding it to the point and f- knowing what to focus on and what to zero in on and what to concentrate on and what to emphasize, what's important and what's, how do you approach it? Because ideally, how much knowledge could a teacher convey? I mean, even the most prolific writer, the most prolific teacher, he can only cover certain subjects. He can't cover every subject in the world. But the ultimate teacher's goal is not to teach you a lot of information. So then you'll know a lot about a lot of... So whatever your teacher taught you, you know about. But anything your teacher didn't teach you, you're lost. You're on your own. No, the ideal teacher is is someone who tries to teach you how to learn, tries to teach you how to approach anything that will come up. Whatever will come up, you'll be able to approach it. And that's the whole, that's a teacher par excellence. That's what Alter Rebbe is. What the whole Tanya is based on that idea. Alter Rebbe says, I'm giving you the answer to all your questions. Right in, right in the introduction. Really? There's no human being on earth that's brilliant enough that can cover every single question that's going to come up. Questions are going to come up 200 years later. Al-Tarebis writes it with such confidence. I'm going to give you the answer to every single question that you, ever, you can ever think of. Really? Say most of the questions. The important questions. The top ten questions. Truvas are kola You covered everything. Who can make such a statement? That's what Al-Tarebis says. Because Al-Tarebis says... What I'm giving you here in the Tanya, I'm not just giving you information. Okay, so let me make sure to cover every single angle. It's impossible. I'm showing you an approach, how to approach. I'm going to help you how you should look at something, how you should be able to discern and distinguish what comes from your godly soul, what comes from your animal soul. And many times it's counterintuitive. Like he says, there's certain emotions that you think. For example, in chapter 27, you know, you're feeling sad. You had a negative thought, you're acting immorally, so you feel sad about yourself. 
So you feel good. Feeling sad, it means I must be a good person because I'm sad about my, my, def- my defects and my moralities and my uh, handicaps. Al-Tarebbe says, that's not coming from your godly soul. That, that's, it's a harder, that's coming from your ego. It's all ego. Or a person is in the middle of davening and suddenly he gets bombarded with negative thoughts and he's distracted and suddenly he's halfway around the world <laughs> and he's in business. Half of his davening he's doing business. The other half of his davening he's planning his trip. The best ideas are coming to you in the middle of davening. You feel terrible. You feel guilt-ridden. What kind, of, what kind of animal am I? I'm standing in the middle of davening and all of a sudden I'm getting bombarded by all these negative thoughts. Al-Tarebbe says, al says yelling at him, what are you, you must be arrogant. Who do you think you are? Why shouldn't you have these thoughts? You're a tzaddik. On the contrary, not only shouldn't you feel sad, it's the biggest proof that you're, you're succeeding. Because it's like a wrestling match. When one side is getting stronger, the other side gets very, gets very angry, upset, and is, tr- and is fighting back, fighting hard. So the fact that you're having all these thoughts is not because you're doing something wrong. You're doing something wonderful. It means your davening is genuine, and your animal soul is getting nervous. So it has to fight back. It's punching back. You're two souls. Relax. So Dalton Rebbe is telling you, any situation, I'm going to show you that you'll be able to make even these subtle distinctions. Even to ask yourself these questions. Without the Tanya, without Hasidus, you don't even, you don't even know to ask yourself these questions. You just assume. I think this is coming from a good place. And, and nothing can be further than the truth. But when you have the Tanya, you have Hasidus, and you learn for 40 years, and you, you dive into it and delve into it daily. Every single day we study the Tanya. Every single day we study Hasidus. There isn't a Lubavitcher Hasid in the world who doesn't study Hasidus every single day. He says Chitas, he does the Tanya of the day, the minimum. So by delving and diving and meditating and reflecting and learning and studying each and every day for 40 years, then the Talmud says, then maybe you can start, your mind will start thinking along the lines of your teacher's mind. You start perceiving reality and perceiving this world from your teacher's mind. And that's what Alter Rebbe says, that's my goal. My goal in the Tanya is not I'm going to teach you everything there is to know. It's not possible. But I'm going to teach you I'm going to give you the tools and I'm going to teach you how to approach. So you'll be able to discern and to distinguish. And sometimes it's very subtle. Which is coming from your good place? Which is coming from the godly soul? And which voice is coming from the opposite? And it's counterintuitive. Many times it's counterintuitive. It's not what you would think it is. It's the exact opposite of what you would think. Because you have to go a little subtle, a little deeper. It's an approach. So that's the ultimate teacher. It's the ultimate goal of it. Teaching you how to think. How do you approach? How do you perceive? How do you look at something? And that's possible. But, on one condition. You have to be faithful to the words of your teacher. Don't dumb down the message and don't embellish. Take Every word that your teacher said faithfully, and Hasidim would, would hazard a discourse, they were faithful to every word. 
when they would memorize by heart what the Rebbe said, they would have the best minds trying to be faithful to every last word, not to miss a word. Precise. The Alter Rebbe himself spent six weeks on one Vav in the Tanya in chapter 41. With a Vav, without a Vav. Every word, every letter is so precise. So, so you have to study it. And you have to delve into it. And you have to live with it. And you have to be faithful to it. Transmit be faithful to the original transmission and try to understand it. And break your head. <laughs> try to understand it. And with Hashem's help, if you'll have the merit and you honestly toil, you'll slowly start to understand. And after many, many years of learning and studying, after 40 years, something magical happens. Something shifts in your mind. Just like a person who's 40-year-old, the, the, the Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers, when you're 40 years old, the, bina, the level of Bina, of understanding, starts developing in its fullest. That's why you're not allowed to be a rabbi under 40, really a real Pesach, Allah, because your mind doesn't really, you don't have that understanding, discernment, to be able to distinguish. It's not fully developed, it's not ripe. Like the fruit is not ripe. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are. Just the mind needs time to develop. You reach the level of 40. Something magical happens. You reach 40 and something in your mind is activated. You know, the Mishnah gives many different, uh, different things. You're 40 years old, uh, 40 is Benabarim Libina. 50 years old is, uh, is Le'etza for a device. 60 years old is when you become elderly. Lizikna, uh, seventy years old is even. You advance in your in your years. Seva, person lives till seventy. You know, you know. Someone once came to a rabbi. I think it was the Gera Rebbe, and he, he was very worried because he says, "Rebbe, I'm turning seventy, and the Mishnah says I'm becoming advanced in old age." He says, I have nothing to worry. The 40-year the 40 mark did, didn't affect you. The <laughs> 70-year mark won't affect you either. <laughs> but something magical happens um, when you turn 40. So too, by studying 40 years, the teachers, studying the teachings of your teacher and delving into the words and the letters and the teachings and going in depth and really internalizing it and breaking your head over it and trying to understand it, something magical happens. After 40 years, your mind tunes in with the mind of your teacher. You become tuned in with the, with the mind of your teacher, not just the information that he gave you. That, I don't need 40 years. Day one, day two, day, day three, depending how smart you are, you, can, you understand what he's teaching you. It makes sense. You, you understand it. You absorb it. You can even convey it. You can even communicate. But when your mind starts tuning in with the mind of your teacher, then any issue that comes up, even issues that your teacher never covered, I'm approaching it the exact same way as my teacher would with the same subtlety, the same depth, the same genuineness, the same accuracy, the same truth, the same emphasis, what to emphasize and not to emphasize, what's important, what's not important, you know, strip away all the externals and really get to the heart of the matter. That ability is something that happens after 40 years of diligently studying the words of the teacher. 
Why? How is it possible even after 40 years when there's such a gap between the teacher and the student? Because in the parable, in the teachings, it's the same light. The light is there. It's like the light of the sun through the curtain that we're learning here. It's the same light. It's not a different light that's important. It's the same light from the sun. But I can't see the sun. So the sun, the brilliant light of the sun doesn't blind me. So I can see the light. I can take it. I can absorb it. I can benefit from it. But it's the same light of the sun. So too, the parable, it's a screen. So the teacher's original dazzling concept in its raw state won't, won't blind me. Blind me blind the student now I can take it now I can understand it it makes sense to me but it's it's the same light the whole idea is contained within this parable I don't see it the teacher sees it to the teacher there is no screen in this parable he sees the whole brilliant concept but it's just brought into foreign words it's like it's like the screen it's completely screen a real screen you don't see the sun anymore but the light still seeps through. I see light without a source. I see the light. So, but for the teacher, there is no screen. In the parable, he sees everything. But for the student, there is the screen. So it enables me to absorb these words, to receive these words, to benefit from these words. And now I have 40 years to really delve into these words. And then, because the light is there, the original idea is there, I work my way back up to the teacher's mind. And now my mind becomes like my teacher's mind. I see things like my teacher sees. That's the ultimate teacher. Teacher par excellence. That's the whole theme of the Tanya. That's the whole point of the Tanya. That's the, the whole point of a Chabad Chassid. That was the whole point of all the Rabbeim. That was their whole effort and struggle and sacrifice was to create Chassidim that are self-sufficient. Hasidim that can stand on their own two feet. Hasidim that if you scratch a little deeper, you'll find in their depth, you'll find a piece of Rebbe inside of them. You'll discover the Rebbe inside of them. Because they were faithful to the teachings and they took the teachings seriously and they engaged in the teachings. Not just nice stories they heard from the Rebbe and nice inspirational messages they heard from the Rebbe and nice inspirational songs, but teachings, chassidus, deep teachings that fully engage the mind of the chassid. You have to bust your head and break your head and learn it every single day of your life and try to delve into it and get into it and dive into it and lose yourself in it and be completely absorbed by it. And by day and day in and day out, absorbing it, internalizing it, finally, your mind, the Chabad, your mind becomes like the mind of the Rebbe. You start perceiving and seeing things and distinguishing and going beyond the surface and seeing the depth and the truth and the genuineness of everything in life. Approaching everything correctly. The way the Rebbe would approach it. Hashem would approach not everything could be covered in the Torah but when you truly internalize the Torah which is Hashem's thinking that's the goal that we start thinking looking at this world from Hashem's eyes when a Jew studies Torah 
the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of the Torah is not just to accumulate knowledge. It's not just the accumulation of knowledge, not just a computer chip. It's just accumulating and stuffing our brains with a lot of information. All these books, let me stuff it in my head and let me fill my mind and let me show how brilliant I am that I could remember so much and I have such a vast scope. No, the goal of a Jew by studying all this Torah and breaking our heads and being fully engaged in the study of Torah, day in and day out, every day of our lives, in the morning and the evenings, 24-7, is the ultimate goal. That we should start perceiving reality the way Hashem perceives reality. Look at this world from God's point of view. Everything in this world, we should look at it and see it from a Torah point of view, from Hashem's point of view. That's the ultimate goal. That's a total transformation. That's a complete changing of the mind. And that's something that's attainable. That's something that's achievable. Chabad is achievable. The Benini, this is achievable for each and every Jew. To completely change, it should be a core transformation that you should change your emotions. That's not in our control. We're human. We can't control our hearts or our desires or our temptations. And that's not what Hashem expects of us. We are in control. We could control is our mind. So by fully engaging in Torah and fully engaging in Chabad and Hasidus, we could, we could completely transform. And in many very subtle ways, you start, suddenly you start viewing this world differently. And then it becomes a different world. The prime example is this letter that we're reading. Without this letter, if this letter didn't exist, before this letter was written, we looked at this world as a very dark place, a very coarse, crass, dark dungeon from which we have to escape. comes along the Alter Rebbe literally days before he passes away and writes and opens our eyes. <laughs> we put on a whole new set of glasses. Are you kidding? This world? Dark dungeon? This is the, the ultimate expression of Hashem's creativity. This is the ultimate revelation of God's core and essence. The ability to create something from nothing. Only Hashem who has no beginning could create an entity that senses that it has no beginning. Ego is rooted in the very essence of Hashem. And it's the physical and the material, which is the ultimate expression of God's essence. When you do the mitzvah physically, do the mitzvah with a physical object, this is the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal, like we learned last week. Suddenly, wow have a whole new uh, respect for this world. <laughs> it's not just a dark dungeon. That's all other religions say and emphasize. Quit while you're behind. This whole world is a maya. You're born in sin. This whole world is mired in ridiculousness and absurdity. As the angels claim. That's what the angels argue. Why, God, why are you wasting this time with this world? This world is so hopeless and so ridiculous and so absurd and so full of sound and fury signifying nothing and... <laughs> And nothing could be further than the truth. This world, signifying nothing, this world is the ultimate revelation of Hashem's essence. 
the only meeting place, the only place where we can come face to face with the essence of Hashem. Heaven, heaven of heavens, the soul in heaven, there's nothing in this world. This is the ultimate. This is where it's at. This is the engine room. This is the generator. This is, this is it. It changes everything. Suddenly, you're looking at... You look at all the challenges and all the, the darkness. It has a whole different... So when we start seeing the world from Hashem's point of view, from the truth, from the inside out, that itself has the power to change the whole world. That's why with the power of Torah we can change the whole world. How are we going to bring Mashiach through the power of Torah? When you study Torah, and you study the Torah, especially the Torah that deals how the world will look, Mashiach will come, when you study the inner secrets of the Torah, you look at the world differently. The world does become different. It actually changes the world. With the power of Torah, we can conquer the whole world, transform the whole world, change the whole world. Because the revolution starts within us. We change, and we see everything completely different. It's a different reality. And when we see the reality differently, the world does become different. We reveal the true nature of the world, the true reality of the world, how we truly should look at this world. And that's why the, the studying the Chabad, it's critical. If you don't have the clarity, if you don't have the right idea, if you're confused, if your mind is confused, then it's impossible. Emotions are not enough. Sentiments are not enough. Sentimentality, tradition, it's not enough. You have to have that clarity and that and the more crystal clear it is in our minds. And then as a result, the more crystal clear it is in our hearts, which results in action and change and behavior. That's how we change the whole world. So this is the Chabad approach in a nutshell. So just like the parsa goes through the parsa, it goes through the curtain. But it's the same light, but now I can receive the light. So it's the light, the same light, the light, the line, the light that comes from after the tzimtzum. So Hashem illuminated the empty space. He illuminated with a line, a beam of light, which originates in the infinite light from before the tzimtzum. And this light is projected through the curtain. The radiation of the cloud that radiated in the kalim of the ten spirit of Mahud of Atzirut pierced the prasa together with them and radiates in them. In the thirty kalim of Mahud of Atzirut that becomes a neshama for Bria, Yatsira, and Asiya. In Bria, Yatsira, Yatsira, and Asiya, just as in Atsira itself. This aspect of the illumination of the Kaab that previously radiated within the Kalim of Atsira remains constant even beyond the veil 
between Atzilut and Bria, Yetzira and Asiya, that causes the light of the latter three worlds to be completely different from that of Atzilut. For the 30 kalim of Malchut of Atzilut pierce the prasa and hence retain their divine characteristics, becoming the light and soul of Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya. The same is therefore true of the ray of the cog that is within them, and thus also pierce the prasa together with them, so that it too radiates within the light of the soul of Bria, Yetzira, and Asiya, thereby creating and animating the beings that populate those three worlds. The light bursts through, so to speak, pierces through, overflows and pierces through, the uh, parsa. So even though the light, as it's seen through the curtain, appears to be a different light, separate, you don't see the source, it appears to be independent of its source. But reality is that it's the same light that pierces through and therefore retains all of its divinity. It's a light that's connected to its source, that reflects the essence of Hashem, that contains the divine, the essence, Hashem's essential ability to create something from nothing, something that feels that it has no origin. And, and um, this is carried even to the level of the neshama, of the vessels of Atzillus, which contains this light, and even the most external part of the vessel of the world of emanation, which becomes in turn the soul of the tenth sefirot of the world of action, which, when merges with the level of sovereignty of the world of action, sparks this creativity, activates this creative, divine creative ability to create something from nothing, and it creates all the beings of our world, of our physical world. But it all comes from that light, that divine godly light, that divine godly creative ability that's contained within this light. <coughs> Even though the light is like diminished, you're talking about the light. And the light, as it goes from level to level, this ray, this beam of light diminishes. And then it goes through the curtain, through the screen. So it's not only diminished, it's like almost like broken off from its source. Because through the curtain, I don't see the sun, I don't see the source. Nevertheless, it's still the same light. It's still connected. There's no interruption. It pierces through. There's no blockage. It pierces through. You know, from the light's point of view, the light hasn't really changed. The light is the same light. (coughs) Even as it diminishes and even if it's going through the curtain the light is still connected to its source. You can't have light unless it's connected to its source. So it's connected to the infinite, and it reflects the essence of Hashem, but it has no beginning. So it still maintains that godly ability, and it conveys that ability all the way to the end, to the lowest point. The soul, the vessels, as it becomes the souls, the external levels of the vessel, as it becomes the souls of the lowest worlds, of the tenth sefirot of the world of creation, which in turn creates an act and creates all of the creatures of this world.
So the problem is the receptacles are no good. We, we're the receptacles of all this life. And until we're... We are more than the receptacles. We are the result. We are created by this light. We are nothing other than this light. The truth is. We are nothing other than this godly creative energy. Who are we? That's our whole being. But, but we are completely oblivious. We are completely oblivious. No, we feel, we feel as if we are independent. That's what ego is. But that alone is the ultimate creative miracle of Hashem. Where does this come from? How could we feel so independent and so completely disconnected as if we have no source, we have no need for a source, we have no answers, we have no need for an answer, we have no question. Forget about an answer, we have no question. We're not even seeking or searching, it doesn't even bother us. Where do we come from? Why am I here? Who says I'm here? Why am I here? 99% of us go through life very comfortable. We're not bothered by these existential questions. We sleep like a baby at night. Doesn't bother us. That's the most astonishing thing. Where does that come from? You stir it up, though. <laughs> you cause this problem. With the, <laughs> That's with a good problem. Those are good problems to have. That Alter Rebbe is not letting us sleep. He didn't sleep. He didn't let Alter Rebbe didn't sleep. Didn't let us sleep. Those are good problems to have. <laughs> we need this independence so that we can coronate Hashem as King. Oh yes, as long as we use that to coronate Hashem as King. But when you just are independent without Hashem, then you're really nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, they used to say rabbis used to sign. I am, I am nothing. So he says, he says, the older rabbis, they wrote they're nothing. Today's rabbis are truly nothing. <laughs> so when a person is just something, he's truly nothing. The more egotistical we are, we're truly nothing, and nobody, and meaningless, and insignificant. Completely nobody is nothing. And, and, and society says that. It's nihilistic. We are insignificant. We are a blip in the universe. We don't even exist. Who cares? Have fun. Just live for the moment because nothing matters. We're so insignificant anyway. Who, who remembers? Who cares? We come from nowhere. We're going nowhere. They themselves say that they're completely nihilistic and life is completely meaningless. But the Torah says on the contrary. When you're nothing, when you know that you're nothing, then you're truly something. Then you connect it to Hashem. When you know that your whole being is a reflection of Hashem, then you're not an illusion. The, the ultimate reality. You're part of the ultimate reality. That's the reason Hashem created you. And when you realize that reason, and you use your independence to connect with Hashem, to reflect back to Hashem, to bounce yourself back to Hashem, you're fulfilling your purpose. That's, then you become part of the ultimate reality. Then your life is real and meaningful in every moment of your life, in every breath, in every you're movement. Not a tzaddik, even, even, even not a tzaddik. Every one of us. Every detail, every part of our life, every thought, speech, and action. Torah and mitzvot were not just given to tzaddikim. We have a code of Jewish law that expects us to behave in a, in a Jewish way 24-7. Not only tzaddikim, every Jew in the world, every last Jew. No, no exceptions. This is expectation. And, and this is what's expected. This is what we're capable of. Because every moment becomes meaningful. We can live like that. Because that's the truth. Because if we utilize our independence to choose to be, reflect Hashem, 
then that becomes real. Does that mean that then we can be happy? The only way you can be happy. All the money, power, and fame in the world will never satisfy us. It just makes us hungry. It's like junk food. Could junk food ever, ever nourish you? <laughs> Nurture you? The more food you eat, the hungrier you are. That's why, everyone, that's why people are so obese today. They're constantly stuffing themselves with empty junk food and they're just getting hungrier and hungrier. They're starving. They're not getting any, any nourishment or nutrients, the things that they really need. They're just getting garbage. So today we have a lot of junk food. We have a lot of junk lifestyle. And all the money, power, and fame in the world will never, ever begin to satisfy you or nourish you or nurture you or give you what you really need. It's like the artificial, the artificial thing. Lust versus love. How could you compare the artificial thing for the real thing? Fame for honor. The artificial thing. You can't, you can't, can't be seeking this happiness. In other words, uh, you know, when you're there, it just is. Right? right? Right. The moment you forget about yourself, that's when you find yourself. You know, if you try to hold your breath in, you're going you're gonna to die. The moment you let go, then you breathe, yes. When you forget about yourself, and you think about what's the meaning, or what's the purpose, or why am I here? What can I do? What can I give? What can I add? What's my divine mission? Why does Hashem need me for? That's when, paradoxically, that's when you discover yourself. That's when, you, that's when you're happy. But when you're self-conscious, it's like when the, mo- the moment you're unself-conscious, you're the happiest. But the moment you start becoming very self-conscious, you ruin, you, ruin, you ruin it. You destroy it. You have a moment that you're blissful, everything is wonderful, and then you start becoming self-conscious, and you destroy the, you destroy the whole thing. You know, so when you, you say to yourself, this, God created me this way. But he also gave me the wisdom and the choice. Is that what he meant when he said in the beginning, it's as close to you as... Right. It's very close and very dear and very near to you. And Tell me again the phrase. To speak, in your heart, to do. It's very near and dear to you. Because it's, it's, and it's most natural. But the, It, it is paradoxical. But here we are, 3,800 years later. Obviously it works. Um, so I know you talk about the veil and how it's screened, but I think maybe you had the same question. In some, in some ways, it seems like what he's saying is that the light is not, this, not diminished. Is the, the vessels that can achieve the lights are diminished. The receptacles. Yes. Yeah. They are the ones really diminished. No. That's what he's saying? But he's saying, no, even the light, even though the light, the light is, it almost looks like a different light. It's the same light. But not because of the light. Yeah, yeah, but as a result of a thick veil, when you're standing on the other side of the veil and you don't see the sun, you don't see the source... It, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like a diff- it looks like a different light from the inside it looks like, it looks like a different light so even though yes in reality it's, it's, it's not but it almost, it's almost like it's as, if, it's as if completely cut off it's almost like it's 
almost like there's two ways to reflect, right? If you take a surface that does not reflect as opposed to a mirror. So a mirror will be in a, in a world of uh, emanation. You know, the light bounces back is the real. But over here, we don't have that kind of ability to reflect it. But not veil on its own. No, so you have, a, you have a window. You have an opening. So you can have a narrow opening. So of course it takes the huge sun and a, a little light comes in. A little tiny light comes in. But it's the same light. But it's, 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 you narrowed it down to a little opening or a window. But it's a clear light. So yes, I'm getting a very tiny little ray of the light. A beam of the light from this huge light. I'm getting one tiny little... But I'm getting the exact same light, it's just diminished. It's just very tiny, small little slice of the light, piece of the light. Here, with a curtain, you're adding something. It's not just I'm diminishing it quantity-wise, but also quality-wise. It's a different quality light. When there's no screen, the light is clear. When it goes through a very thick screen, a very heavy screen, it, it, you know, and it has to go through, find its way through the openings, it, it, it comes out like almost like a different light. And, and you look, you, you can't even see the source. It's like, so it changes it qualitatively also, not just quantitatively. Like when the teacher teaches through the parable, when this idea is filtered through the parable, it's almost like it's, in a, it's, almost like it's a jump. It's almost like it's a different, because now you're talking in a different world. You're talking about the parable, a simile, uh, an example of foxes and hens and animals. It's like so foreign from where the idea is coming from. The idea is pure, like the sun shining in here. It's like being changed. Like qualitatively, it appears to be like as if the idea has changed. It's only because there is a student. Right. If it was up to the teacher, he would never change it. So it's almost like, you know, we discussed that the, the reason why this whole thing happened, it's not from the light point of view, from the point of view, it's just because the creatures is not because it's supposed to be true and, and that's why right. at the end you have the ability to to go back to the full yes because that that is the purpose the ultimate purpose is that Hashem wanted his original light to shine in all its brilliance even in a place that originally could not receive the light because the student will be completely blinded, or the person will be completely blinded by the light. But now that this light went through the screen, went through the screening, and went through this process, and the student was able to slowly but surely work his way up, now when the student's mind merges with the mind of his teacher, he can receive it without being destroyed. He's the same student. And the he same limited mind. Right, and now he can receive it in its original, right, without the screen. But he can receive it without being destroyed. He can handle it. Initially, if Hashem would have just illuminated the light, the light would have blinded us, finished, end of story. There's no recipient anymore, it's gone. The recipient should remain a recipient. Finite and limited. Who's not the teacher. Right. And never will be but the recipient will remain this, and yet now the recipient could receive the light and all its original brilliance, dazzling brilliance, and could receive it.
and handle it without being destroyed. Are you saying, That's the purpose. Are you saying to the tzaddik there is no veil? Well, not the same for a tzaddik who's a soul from the world of emanation. We learned earlier. So for them, there is no veil. They, they, they are a souls in this world. They're like souls of the world of emanation. They, to them, godliness is crystal clear. They, to them, there's no diminishing. The light, the sun is shining. That's why they, they can't understand how, you know, how we get so distracted and we go about our lives. If nothing, they're jumping up and down and they see godliness and they live godliness and breathe godliness. And that's reality. There's no other reality. And they're looking at us and they don't understand what's going on. We get so distracted in money, power, fame, narishkeit, and foolishness, ridiculousness. We don't see it. It's so clear. The Torah, Hashem, it's real. So those are the little souls of the world of emanation. In this world, they are like on the level of the world of emanation. There is no screening for them. God created them that way. Yeah, so they can be our teachers, and they can be our inspirations, and they can be our luminaries, and they can... But it resonates within us, because at the root, at the source, we all come from the world of emanation. Uh, so that's why when you see a, a, a Rebbe, it touches something so deeply within us because it resonates because we all have a piece of Hashem inside of us. We all have a piece of the divine essence inside of us. So when you look at a Rebbe, it touches your divine essence. It like wakes you up. It's like, it, it, it resonates within us because we're seeing ourselves reflected. Our deepest self, truest self, we're seeing ourselves reflected in the Rebbe. So it, it ignites something inside of us. We respond that's why we respond so deeply and so profoundly and that's so, so totally. Right, that's the attraction. Otherwise, what, why we, there's no connection. You know, when you meet Einstein, you're very inspired. It's nice. It's an experience. You'll tell your children, but it's not going to affect you. Like not a connection. Here, what's the connection? The distance in us and the Rebbe is like, but yet every Jew feels so connected because it's the inside of us the, the, the core of Hashem's essence that's found inside of us that responds and we connect and, and, and it totally connects us and transforms us and so but that's the goal that's the idea that's the whole purpose of creation that's why Hashem created this finite and limited world and the infinite light and the truth is screened and diminished and goes through one contraction after the other and, and then it goes through and Finally, it goes through the screening, and it's like almost like qualitatively a different light and disconnected, and all to enable us to remain beings, created beings that seem separate, and yet we can study Torah and do mitzvot and absorb godliness by incorporating Torah and mitzvot in our daily lives, every day of our life, and working our way up, and finally completely through Torah, completely transforming our perspective, completely going back to the infinite, going back to Hashem, bouncing back, reflecting back Hashem. But then we'll be able to absorb it and handle it. The world will remain a finite, limited world. We will remain human beings. And at the same time, we'll be able to absorb the infinite. Hashem's so why, perspective. Why did he create beings that don't have that ability? That we all have, we all have. That's the way. No, I mean, non-Jews. Well, non-Jews also play a role in this whole scenario. When they follow the seven Noahide laws and they are righteous Gentiles and they help the Jews, not like the BDS movement in Machshemam Zichron. 
who defy the whole, their whole purpose of creation. When they help the Jew, when the, right, when they help the Jew fulfill his divine mission to elevate the whole world, and bring the whole world back to the infinite Hashem, the godliness, that's their role that they play in this whole drama. Then they have a share in the world to come, and they participate and partake in this eternity. The righteous Gentiles of the world, the Rolu Wallenbergs of the world, the Sugiharas of the world, the Paul Johnsons of the world, the Mark Twains of the world, the Leo Tolstoy's of the world, all those great righteous Gentiles who loved the Jewish people, adored the Jewish people, and did everything in their power to help the Jews serve Hashem. They are the righteous Gentiles that have an eternal part of eternity and have a share in the world to come. And every God promises that every non-Jew or seven billion, with the exception of Amalek, the hardcore anti-Semites, will be elevated and will, the Mashiach will come. They will all become righteous Gentiles. So yes, everyone has a part. Everyone plays a role in this cosmic drama. Hero. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.